Good morning, Chapel Hill. Two weeks ago, if you had told us that the coronavirus would all but disappear from the headlines of our major newspapers, no one would have believed you. But then we saw a video, a video of a rogue cop with his knee on the neck of a man who was handcuffed and crying out, I can't breathe. And his cries went unheeded, and we watched as that man died. And once again, racial unrest has set a firestorm across this nation. In some cases, literal firestorms in many of the major cities of our country. Violence which has been fanned by the media that feeds on violence has silenced once again the voices that we so desperately need to hear in a moment like this. The voices that are trying to explain to us why the experience of black America is not the same as the experience of white America. We heard something of that earlier from our beloved and trusted Nick Phelps when he told us his story. And so we are in this incredible season of pandemic and racial injustice and, and violence. And it does beg the question, where is God in all of this? Is God listening to us? Does God care about what is going on to us? These are exactly the questions that were being asked by the people of Israel thousands of years ago. ago. They, they began to cry out to God, asking that He would deliver them from slavery. And yet they were wondering whether God was even listening. So we're going to take a look at the story as it comes to us from the book of Exodus, chapter 1. Then Joseph died, and all his brothers, and all that generation... But the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong, so that the land was filled with them. Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, Behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply, and if war breaks out, They join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Therefore, they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied, and the more they spread abroad, and the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Holy Spirit, would you speak to us now through this hard story and in this important and hard time? God, I pray that there would be no offense that would come from my words, but only the offense that you stir in our hearts as you bring conviction to us and call us to repentance. We ask that you would do that great work now, and we do so in the name of Jesus. Amen. In the early days of COVID, we heard stories about how passengers on these super cruise ships were being trapped on those ships and not allowed to to leave. Of course, after a few days, finally, they were able to go. But did you know that even today, there are still about 100,000 cruise ship employees that are still stranded on those ships? Those people, they took those jobs. They're not the best of jobs. They don't pay that much money. But they were looking for a leg up, a way out of poverty, a chance to put food on their family's table 
And so they endured hard hours and uh, lots of toil and the, the lack of privacy. But they was going to make something of themselves. <laughs> and yet now those ships have become their prisons. And they're crying out to be released and be allowed to go home. And so far their cries are falling on deaf ears. Much could be same, said the same about the people of Israel back in the time of the Exodus. They were struck by a terrible famine in their land. There was no food for them, no work for them. They were in a terrible state, and Egypt became their lifeboat. God, in his provision, raised one of their own, a man named Joseph, to be the second most powerful man in the land. And he invited his family to come and to settle into the northern part of Egypt, the land of Goshen, where they were able to graze their flocks, and he was able to provide them food and provision and security. And it was a pretty sweet deal. Unfortunately, the Israelites overstayed their welcome in Egypt. By about 350 years, the Egyptians, who began as great host to them, grew to depend upon them for their labor force, and then grew to fear them because of their numbers. They were sure they would rise up in opposition to them. And so we read on, and we read that the Egyptians ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves and made their lives bitter with hard service in mortar and brick and in all kinds of work in the field. In all their work, they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. Ruthlessly. That's a harsh word. You really don't want to use that word to describe your boss. And yet again, twice, we hear this is the way that the Israelites were treated. I've been watching a Netflix special called Grant. It's about Ulysses S. Grant, who was the kind of the supreme commander of all of the Union forces during the Civil War. And it's a great movie, actually. It's a great series. And it includes a lot of period pictures from the time, these stark and grim and graphic black and white pictures. And just looking into the faces of these soldiers and upon the dead bodies that were strewn across these, these battlefields, took me back again to this, this grim malignancy that is on the soul of American psyche, it, it, the malignancy of slavery. Now, our glorious declaration of independence says that all men are created equal, and yet th- this nation was built on the scarred backs of Africans who were kidnapped from their homes and shipped across the Atlantic in unspeakable conditions and sold into bondage. The people of Israel ended up in slavery themselves in Egypt, but in a completely different way. They came, first of all, as welcome guests, but they sold themselves into slavery. What do I mean by that? I mean this. Israel forgot who they were. They already had a land, a promised land, that had been given to them by the Lord God, the God of the universe, who had entered into covenant with them and called them to be his special people. He had promised to stay in covenant with them and that he was going to not only bless them, but he would, through them, bless the entire world. That is who they were. That is who Israel was. And then they came to Egypt, and it was a nice, cushy place It was comfortable. It was delightful. They had wonderful cucumbers, apparently. And they became complacent. And they forgot their promised land. And they forgot their promising God. 
and slowly they were absorbed into the Egyptian culture. Their slavery was of their own making. I wonder how many of you would recognize when I say the, the, the name of the Borg. Only if you're Star Trek fans would you know that. that the Borg was the most malevolent enemy that the Starship Enterprise ever faced. They were a culture that absolutely swallowed up everything in its path. If they caught you, they absorbed you into the hive. You were assimilated. The, the motto of the Borg was, resistance is futile. There is a Borg-like quality to every dominant culture. No matter how hard you try to remain distinct, it is something that often sucks you in. And this is exactly what happened to the Israelites in Egypt. And we have proof of that. For instance, listen to what God had to say about the people of Israel through the prophet Ezekiel in chapter 20 of his book. This is what we read. God says, They rebelled against me and were not willing to listen to me. None of them cast away the detestable things that their eyes feasted on, nor did they forsake the idols of Egypt. Did you hear that? The Israelites, the chosen people of the one true God, in the course of their time, they began to follow the idols of Egypt. They began to worship the false gods of Egypt. Of Egypt. It was assimilation. And here's more proof. The very first thing that Moses did after he led his people out of Egypt and towards the promised land was to order the, the, that every single male would be circumcised. Listen, circumcision was a big deal. It was like Jewish baptism. It was the prime sign of the covenant between God and his chosen people. And it was performed on every single eight-year-old Jewish boy. Eight-day-old Jewish boy. But, but over the centuries, they just stopped doing it. This singular mark of what it meant to be Jewish, they just neglected it. Somewhere along the way, God's chosen people allowed themselves to be assimilated into Egyptian culture, and suddenly they found themselves chained to that culture. One of the disturbing revelations for me in this season of crisis that we're dealing with, is the degree to which the Christian church has become assimilated into the American culture. What is it precisely in this challenging time that distinguishes us from the unbelievers, the unchurched, the unsaved Americans who live on either side of us? We proclaim devotion to a resurrected Christ, and yet we are terrified at the prospect of death. COVID terrifies us. We are confused about what we should do in this time, in this moment, but despite the fact that we have more hours than we have ever had, we continue to neglect the deep study of God's Word. We we speak, we deplore the racial division that stri strikes this country, and yet, as Dr. King once said so aptly, Sunday mornings in America are still the single most segregated hour in the week. We rail against the virus. We rail against the government. Sometimes we rail at both, wasting our breath in that way while our prayer habits are little changed. At a time when we ought to be on our knees daily before God, seeking His face, we choose instead to whine to each other and to pick fights on Facebook. 
We claim to believe that prayer changes things, yet I do not sense that the American church has been driven to its knees before the Lord, crying out to Him in repentance for our idolatry and begging Him for His guidance, His peace, His courage, His direction. And if this won't do it, if this global pandemic and outbreak of violent racial injustice doesn't drive us to our knees, what will? I don't know how long it took for the people of Israel to finally lift their voices to the Lord, but finally they did. During those many days, the king of Egypt died, and the, the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. They are cry for rescue from slavery came up to God. We're not told when this crying out to God finally took place over that 350-year period of captivity. Presumably, the first 100 years were pretty good. But as they were slowly assimilated into that culture, as they slowly forfeited their liberty for their slavery, suddenly they realized they were stuck and they began to try to turn to God. We read that they groaned, that they cried out for rescue from slavery. But was it too late? Had God turned his back on them? Had God turned up his nose to them? Had God washed his hands of them? After all this time, would God even hear their cries? When I married Cindy back in 1989, I already owned a house. And it was fine for a bachelor, but it was kind of small for a family. And so, with the help of all kinds of Chapel Hill folks, we began to add onto our house, ultimately adding 2,000 square feet. And that started with a huge hole in the ground that was going to become our basement. It was 10 feet deep, and it was right up next to the house. One morning, I was sitting in my chair, and I was working on my sermon by the window that was right over the hole. And Cindy was outside spraying for carpenter ants around the job site. And she was walking backwards as she did so, and suddenly she stepped off of the deck and fell backwards to the ground 10 feet below. And she just lay there afraid of moving anything after taking that horrible fall. And then she began to call out to me. She cried out my name, calling out for hope, for help at the, at the top of her lungs. I was sitting in the window, right by the window, right above where she was, and yet I did not hear a thing. Finally, after her cries for help produced no response, she began to gingerly move her body parts to see if she had been injured in the fall, and thankfully she had not, at least not seriously. And so she climbed up the ladder out of the hole, limped her way into the house, came into the room, stood in front of the chair and said, Mark, I have been screaming for you. I fell into the hole, and you did not help me. Even today, as I think about it, 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 it strikes emotions in me because all I could say was, I'm so sorry. I didn't hear you. Israel cried out to God. The question is, would God hear them? When the boot of, of Egyptian oppression was upon their neck, they cried out to God. We can't breathe, they cried out to God. And the question is, would God hear those cries? Would God rescue them, or was God just done with them? 
And we get the answer in the very next verse. And God heard their groaning. And God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel. And God knew. It's a very short little verse. It's actually the first time God has appeared a long time in the story of the Exodus. And yet four times, four powerful verbs are attributed to the Lord. We hear that God heard, God remembered, God saw, and God knew. Bam, bam, bam. God heard the cries of his people after all. God remembered them. God saw their plight, and God knew. That last, verse, that last verb is, is interesting to me because the Hebrew text doesn't tell us what God knew. What exactly did God know? Did God know their predicament? Did God know their pain? Did God know their anger? Did God know their disappointment? Did God know their outrage? Did God know their sense of hopelessness? Yes. All of those things, God knew them. And beloved, God still knows all of those things right now. Whatever the cries of your heart in this moment, whatever it is that terrifies you, whatever it is that pains you, hurts you, scares you, God knows, he hears, and even, he even hears our groans, we are told. I love that passage. There are times when we are in such pain, we cannot even come up with words. Have you been that way? I have. I have no words to say in prayer, and yet we are told that God even hears our groans when we're in too much pain to speak a word. God hears our groans, and he translates. He knows what our groans mean, and the greatest thing of all is we are told that God will act. And you might say, well, that's not in any of those verbs. Yes, it is. When it says God remembers, that's not the word that we think of. When we think remember, we think I lost my keys, but now I recall where I put them. That's not what this word remember means. This word means that God is going to act upon his covenant promises. That's what remember means here. He's going to remember the promises that he made his people, and he is going to act on those promises. He has not forgotten them. And now, activated by the prayers of his people, God is ready to rescue. God didn't deliver Israel because they were good people. They were not. God delivered Israel because he's a good God. Israel did not remember their covenant. But God remembered his covenant with Israel. And even after centuries of, of disobedience, when the people finally found voice to lift their groans to the Lord, he heard and he remembered and he prepared to set them free. It is the nature of our God to save those who don't deserve to be saved. That is the story of the Exodus. That is supremely the story of Jesus and the cross. Jesus didn't save us because we deserved to be saved. Jesus saved us because we needed saving and that's the promise that comes out of this text. For those of you who are groaning in this season, who are pained in this season, who are fearful in this season, God does hear your prayers. God does remember his promises to you. God does see what you are going through. God knows everything that is stirring your heart, and God is going to act. I promise it. He promises it. And so I say to you, keep right on groaning until God makes things right. 
But for those of you who are not crying out to God in this moment, could I ask this? If these circumstances are not going to drive you to your knees, what in the world will? If global pandemic and job loss, sickness and death and relational upheaval won't drive you to your knees, what will do that? If racial injustice won't make you groan to the Lord, will you ever? If peaceful protests that have been hijacked by hooligans, if wicked anarchy that destroys both lives and livelihoods, if, if treasonous interests that incite all manner of violence, if the streets of our nation aflame won't drive you to your knees before the Lord, what in the world will? What will it take? The best thing that has come out of this experience for me is this. My wife and I are praying together on our knees every morning, uniting our cries to God for mercy and healing and direction and peace and courage. We pray for you every morning, for your session every morning. We pray for our governor, our president, our nation. And we beg you to join us in that prayer. If this is a short-lived crisis, then God help us. We, we still need to cry out to the Lord. If this crisis drags on for years, God help us. We still need to cry out to the Lord. And if this is a judgment of God because His people have been assimilated into the dominant culture, then God help us. We still need to cry out to the Lord. Either way, we must cry out. And the promise of this story is that God will hear and God will remember and God will act. So, are you on your knees every day before the Lord? And if not, why not? If ever there was a time to pray, this is that moment. And so I want you to listen to the heart of your pastor And I want you to get on your knees and cry out to the Lord for your deliverance, for your rescue, for your family and your church and your city and your state and your nation and your world. I entreat you to do this. And in fact, I invite you to do it right now. I invite you, wherever you are in your home, to get off of the couch, out of the bed, And join me on your knees as we lift our hearts, our prayers, our cries, and our groans to the Lord. Lord God, have mercy on us. Forgive us for the ways that we have been assimilated into our culture. Forgive us that we are not distinct that it cannot be pointed out that we are different from those who do not trust you. That we experience the same fear, the same doubt, we carry out the same practices, the same gossiping, the same complaining. We don't, not, we don't live in victory, and we waste our breath in whining instead of lifting that breath to you, the one who can do something about it. So we pray, forgive us. Forgive us, O oh God. 
We pray for our nation, our world in this time of virus. And not in just about the sickness, but the terrible division that this has sown into our lives as Americans. God, forgive us of that and draw us together by your grace. Bring us together. And especially in this time of horrible religious uh, racial upheaval, God, have mercy. We pray that you would stay the hands of hooligans, that you would lift the voices that have been too long silenced. You would open the hearts of those of us who have never really understood or tried to understand what so many of our American brothers and sisters are going through. God, in your mercy, would you use this terrible moment to bring your nation together. God, we pray for your church. This, your church, and throughout our state especially, we long to come together. We long to sit next to each other, to look into one another's face, and yet we cannot yet do that. In your mercy, would you find ways to bind our hearts together nonetheless Would you sustain us in the small ways that we see and touch one another until that day when we are able to come once again, your people, gathered in your sanctuary, singing praises to our great God. Holy Spirit, would you do a work in our hearts? Would you cause us to repent of our prayerlessness, of our indifference, of our selfishness that keeps us from looking outward from noticing those around us, from sharing the pain, from lifting up other people, and for understanding that which we have never been able to understand before. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would fill us now with the gifts of wisdom, grace, peace, and your incredible power that we might be different, that the world will know that we are different, and they will be changed because of our witness for the sake of Christ. For we pray these things in the name of our Savior Jesus. And all of God's people said, Amen. I really mean this, Chapel Hill. If nothing else comes of this experience, if we come out of here a prayerful people, uniting our hearts in whatever place we might find ourselves, If nothing else comes from that, that will be a great thing. And so I call you to prayer. I call you to your knees. Repent of your prayerlessness. Repent of the idolatry that keeps you from turning to God and submitting your entire life to Him anew. And a great starting point for us would be tomorrow. Our denomination has set apart tomorrow, June 8th, as a day of lament prayer and fasting. We all know what prayer and fasting is, but lament is something new for us. And really what it is, we're going to cry out our pain. We're going to cry out our sorrow as the Psalms invite us to lament. Let's admit to the Lord our, our pain and our heartbreak and our disappointment and lay it before the only one who can heal us and make a difference. Tomorrow, would you join us in that? I wrote about it in my Saturday blog. You'll have a reminder this evening, some resources that could help you prepare for that. But I invite you to join your, your, my wife and, and me tomorrow morning as we enter into a day of fasting and prayer and lament for the sake of this nation. We cannot do any of this unless the Spirit of Christ fill us anew. And so, again... I invite you to raise your hands up.
and receive this blessing from the Lord. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his perfect peace, both now and forevermore. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and all of God's people said,